You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, don't even give me a cup. Give me the whole damn pitcher. Because I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, baby. The Bucks, man, they're back. 11-9, and now on the season with a chance to go 3-over-500 against the Sacramento Kings on Saturday. And I jokingly say all of that. But, man, if you're looking for the big three to look anything like a big three and waiting for the night for all of them to do it on the same night, this was the night for you. A huge night from all three of those guys. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Giannis was crap offensively, wasn't he? Seven out of 20 yeah, by his standards? I guess so. He, so, he actually wasn't, wasn't good offensively, but he did obviously a lot of other things. Yeah, I, yeah that's true. By his own standards, not great. Uh, but all three members of the big three – over the 20-point mark. Uh, Middleton leads the way, 26 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal. Uh, Bledsoe comes up next, 25 points, 4 assists, 2 steals, a block, and a rebound. And then Giannis, 20 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals. It's marked down as 3 blocks. We think it's 4. And Frank will get on it, and he'll figure it out because that is his job. That is what he does. So Frank will get that figured out, but uh, three, I mean, all three of those guys going for 20-plus, we haven't seen that yet. This is the first time we've seen all three of those guys do that in a single game. And when you're thinking kind of about what the exciting part of having those three guys together was, it was getting steals, being good defensively, having uh, a variety of looks offensively, and just generally being very difficult to defend offensively and making things very difficult for teams on the other end. And that's what they did. <laughs> that's what tonight was all about. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're, ultimately it's one game, right? And certainly um, the but, last two games the, the Bucks cool have... Yeah, but the, certainly <laughs> the last two games the Bucks have, have done everything that, you know, you can probably say they, they should have done. Um, and, you know, you get three wins out of four on the road, even if two of those games were obviously, you know, against very bad teams. Uh, and one of them was, you know, a bad performance in Utah. You will always take a three and one Western road trip. Always. Yep. Don't, you don't even need to tell me who's on the road trip. You always take, uh, that record, you know, especially, you know, missing Giannis in one of those games. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we obviously saw them reel off four wins, uh, immediately after Eric Bledsoe arrived. Um, I, I would say this win was a better win than, probably any of those wins in terms of quality um you know maybe the san antonio game could be in there um but in terms of just controlling the tone and pace and you know really just both ends of the court for very long stretches um it's difficult you know i don't i, don't, I mean is there another game that you would say was comparable to this i mean sacramento doesn't really count because they're the kings um but the blazers had won three straight 
came into this game with the top five defense. Yep. Hadn't had a great year offensively so far, but we know what they have talent-wise. Um, they have the talent to be a much better offensively. And, um, you know, you just look at the numbers for the Bucks tonight. Um, although they went cold a bit in the fourth quarter, I think Giannis missed like six straight shots at one point in the second half, something yep. like that. Um, you know, offensive rating was not great. It was about average, 106.4. Um, but their defensive rating, 94 tonight. Um, you will take that on the road against a playoff caliber opponent uh, every night. And, you know, again, 11 steals. Um, they force uh, 19 turnovers uh, by the Blazers. And, um, you know, they get 29 points, 29 to 14 points off turnovers. And, I mean, you're you're going to put yourself in a really good position when those things happen. And as you said, you know, as much as Giannis struggled to, to score efficiently tonight, he did pretty much all the other stuff. Um, and Middleton and Bledsoe were, were very good offensively, um, both guys with four assists and 25 and 26 points. So, um, yeah, I mean, you look at that starting five. We've talked about it for, for a while now. The starting five has been really good. All season, really, but yep. especially since the Bledsoe trade and tonight. I mean, you go down the starting five plus minus. You know, a lot of time we say the plus minus doesn't tell the story of a game, but tonight I think it pretty much does. Yep. John Henson plus nineteen. He had thirteen and ten. Um, he played well, certainly much better than Thon Maker. Um, um, we're in a spot here, Frank, where I'm uncomfortable because. Can I just finish reading off the plus minuses just to make my point? Go for it. Plus 21 Giannis, plus 15 Middleton, plus 21 Bledsoe, plus 21 Snell. Uh, everybody on the bench was a negative. And yeah, I, I think that pretty much tells it. I think the Bucks, that, the Bucks starting five now is up to, uh, I believe, a 119 offensive rating this season in like 134 minutes. I think they're like plus 17 or something like that net rating. Um, so they've been, they continue to be really good and they've been getting even better somehow. Uh, and obviously when you get that type of play from your starting five and I mean, Bledsoe was, was excellent again tonight. Um, man, Eric Bledsoe's knees, make sure those things are getting iced every night. We're taking care of him because, uh, he has made a big difference for the Milwaukee Bucks, but yeah, you were going to, you were about to throw some cold water on us, right? Is that what you're about to do? No, I was about to say, oh, okay. um, I'm very worried about what I'm about to do. Oh, okay. um, because <laughs> I, I understand our powers, or at least our powers from this season. Um, I've been, I've actually held back a couple podcasts here from saying it because I'm just so concerned about it and about this guy's history. But damn, John Henson's a good basketball player this year. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! He he's a pretty undeniably a good basketball player this year, right? Like, am I? I feel like I'm not crazy in saying that. Like, he's actually been able to function offensively like a six for eight night from Henson yeah I can handle that uh defensively he's done his job like he's executed his job and maybe it just feels like he's doing such a good job because Thon has done the opposite of that where you can see Thon struggling so much with all the reads but I do feel like Henson has done I mean a pretty nice job executing the defensive game plan whether that is the old game plan where he he was out high hedging and trapping or it's more the defensive game plan they've done the last two games where he's falling back and uh, just kind of trying to corral guys and um, I don't know I'm just really struggling with it like I said like I didn't want to say anything but I feel like he has given the team a boost so often this season that I just I just felt the need to say something. And I know I probably shouldn't have, but I needed to get it off my chest. I would say Henson's been very solid this year. Um, 
You know, I think he's in a spot where he's playing with a bunch of good players. And yeah. I think that makes a big difference for a guy like John Henson, right? Because he's really not asked to do, to really step out of his comfort zone. I think we've seen at times him showing more like from a passing perspective from the high post. I think that's been uh, a positive, you know, again, he still shoots occasional jumpers and, you know, tonight he made one. <laughs> Usually he does not make them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think the big thing is, and again, he sometimes struggles you know, with, with bigger, stronger guys like Nurkic went to work for long stretches tonight. Nurkic ends up at 25 and 11, um, but also six turnovers. And, you know, again, and I think uh, it's one of those things, right? Like on a night like this, you know, Lillard and McCollum combined for 14 out of 36 shooting for 33 points. You don't care what Yusuf Nurkic does on a night like that because you're doing everything you can to slow down those dangerous guards. Um, but, but yeah, Henson, I would say, I would say he's been solid and, and, you know, it's a credit to him because he's obviously a guy that a lot of us had sort of left for dead in terms of his Bucks future. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's been solid and, and he has stayed for the most part in his lane other than, you know, those occasional rhythm jump shots. Um, and obviously the team's been great with him on the court. And I think a lot of that's just, you know, knowing kind of where he's supposed to be and he can do just enough. Whereas Thon's a guy who obviously um, is much more limited offensively than, than even Henson, I would say. I mean, yeah, Thon can knock down a jumper, but um, all the in-between stuff uh, is, is a lot harder for Thon. And as much as Henson, you know, isn't, you know, Shaq, uh, prime Shaq when he's finishing around the basket or something, um, you know, he's been a bit better, obviously, there and a bit more consistent. So, and, yeah, and shout I, out to John Henson. It's, and, and, and here's the scary thing. I mean, and this is where, you know, we, we've been kind of standoffish on, on what the Bucks should do to kind of add a little bit more depth at the center position. And, and the scary thing is, I mean, if John Henson, John Henson has frequently had random injuries that keep him out for a few weeks here and there. Yeah. I mean, if John Henson goes down, again, the upside would be that you'd probably see more Giannis at center, which could actually be a good thing. But for the most part, I mean, it'd be pretty scary if you were in a situation yeah. where Thon Maker was your only center and, you know, Joel Ballenboy's, you know, your, your backup or something like that. So there's definitely a question about how the Bucks get a little bit more depth. Um, but obviously it doesn't have to, I mean, they have to go and get, you know, a big name, but certainly, uh, if there's a random guy making a couple million bucks, a veteran type guy that, that you could add, that certainly might be, be a, a solid thing at this point, because as good as Henson's been, um, you're an injury away from, you know, being really, really thin up front. And, and it was funny. You mentioned that Henson has done just a solid job, like knowing where he should be making those plays and, and making the right reads. So often in the past, that's been the thing that you really get frustrated with Henson on. Like he doesn't do those things consistently, and he's not able uh, to make the right reads and be in the spots where he's supposed to be. And uh, and again, maybe maybe I, I want to pat him on the back because he has struggled so much in those regards in the past and hasn't been uh, consistent in those ways. But I thought he's been really solid. And tonight it was just kind of fun watching. I guess when Henson's playing well, that also allows kind of your point guard to play well because so often in pick and roll play, it's going to be the point guard and the center kind of working together. And man, Eric Bledsoe, when he's when he is right, good God, is he right? Uh, because you just think about what he's able to do defensively. Like he can just blow up pick and rolls by himself. 
Like he's he's able to get over the top of him, or if you corral him just right, he can come from behind and either tip out a ball and have it go to someone else. And uh, you look at Bledsoe's steals tonight; he gets two, but I would say he probably has another one or two in there where he tipped the ball out from behind, uh, or he comes back and gets himself into the play and he's able to contest a, a pull up jumper in the mid range, or he's on the backside and he's able to get to a pass. And uh, tonight was another one of those nights and. We haven't said this every night with Eric Bledsoe, but there have been a couple nights where it just feels like Eric Bledsoe is everywhere. Like, like no, and yep. there was there was a stretch in in like the second and third quarter where he just seemed everywhere defensively. He was getting his hands on balls. He was tipping passes. He was getting straight up steals. Uh, Giannis would get a tip out. Middleton would get a tip out, and somehow Bledsoe would have it. And then all of a sudden, it would be a Bledsoe and Giannis three on two break and one will be passing to the other and as a defense good luck like you don't have a chance if that's the case and there was just another stretch of that tonight and when you get that and then you add him hitting that elbow jumper like he was again in those first three quarters it's just so tough especially if the Bucks are going to run a lot of Giannis as the screener pick and rolls with Bledsoe because Giannis's gravity is so real that Bledsoe's just going to have elbow jumpers if he wants them. And we've seen it a couple times this year. When he's feeling good, he's in good rhythm, and he's hitting those shots, that play is really difficult to stop because Bledsoe's hitting that shot, so you have to try to cover it. But if you do cover it, it's going to be a Giannis dunk. And you just are put in really uncomfortable spots. And... Yeah, the, the nights where Bledsoe is right feel like a whole lot of fun and feel like this team can be really special. Now, that being said, there's been, what, like three of those nights where you felt like he's really on offensively and defensively? There's flashes throughout all those, but there's really only been like three of those nights where you feel like, oh my god, he is he's totally on and he is he's really affecting the game on both sides. So that needs to become more consistent, but... You, you can kind of see what the hope would be by trading for him and getting him on the same team as Giannis and Chris. Yeah, I mean, his last four games have probably been his best four offensive games. Um, you know, he, he's just making a big impact, you know, as you said, in kind of all all facets of the game right now. And, uh, you know, his, his numbers right now per 36 since the trade, 19.9 points, six assists, uh, 2.5 steals, one block, um, 3.3 turnovers. Uh, and again, the three-point shot isn't even there yet, right? I mean, he's yeah. shooting 26% right now on, from three since the trade. And, you know, again, he's certainly uh, proven to be a lot better than that. Maybe he's not a great three-point shooter, but he should be in those, you know, at least somewhere close to mid-30s uh, in terms of three-point shooting. And we've seen a little bit more of that of late in terms of his three-point shot coming around. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, I think with Bledsoe, he's answering the question about like can he mesh with these guys can he fit in with these guys can he play off these guys can the other guys play off of him um you know Giannis is screening he's been a good screener and then teams also you know when they run into him have to think twice about like well I don't maybe I just want (laughs) to get pancaked by yeah because it means that he's not doing I should stick here yeah we should throw the double team on him real quick exactly um so an interesting game I mean I think if you look at this from an offensive standpoint I mean the Blazers got the Bucks to do a lot. When you break it down, like where the Bucks, you know, points were coming from, in a lot of ways, the Blazers got kind of what they wanted. I mean, the Bucks only took twenty threes; they hit six out of twenty. Milton had four out of six of those, um, and the Bucks had a twenty-six point mid-range night, which is a lot. 
Um, they were plus 10 uh, in mid-range compared to the Blazers. And so again, I mean, that's something the Blazers try to do. They don't give up a lot of threes. They want to force you to shoot mid-range jumpers and just kind of the way they play more straight up than than most teams. And the Bucks shot a lot of mid-range jumpers, but you know certainly Bledsoe and Middleton in particular, those are areas where they can they can make hay. And tonight they did. And um, again, you know, I think you they kind of you, you can argue either argue that they played into the Blazers' hands a little bit, um, and the Blazers did a nice job protecting the rim against Giannis, um, or you could say, well. The Bucks took what they got, what was given them. <laughs> they took advantage of it because certainly Bledsoe. I mean, a lot of those mid rangers were wide open. These were yeah. not, you know, challenge step back mid range, you know, jump shots or something like that. So, um, so I mean, and again, the way the Bucks were playing, as you said, um, in that third quarter in particular, when when Giannis and and Bledsoe were getting out on the break. I mean, it, it, it's fun watching Giannis have Bledsoe because he has a guy who actually can run with him. And we talk a lot about you know the importance of um, having three point shooters in transition to be able to play fast, but it's also nice to have a couple guys who, you know, <laughs> if you have something that's actually fast to play fast. Yeah, guys who you know can can push the tempo, can handle the ball, can finish um, in transition. You know, I mean, before the Bledsoe trade, I mean, Giannis was basically the only guy who you know you could actually expect to take the ball in transition and like finish through guys through contact. Um, you know, be able to really attack the defense and, and you know, have creative finishes. And, and obviously Bledsoe has shown he can do that too, even though he's not, you know, a huge guy by any stretch. So, um, so yeah, it, it's just a lot of credit to Bledsoe for, you know, and, and these guys for, for fitting in. And obviously, you know, we're not talking about, oh, how do they get Giannis shots? How do they get Middleton shots? I mean, guys are still getting shots, you know. It's, it's not, I mean, so far it's not really been an issue and again, it's um, a lot of that's because just sort of the makeup of your team and having guys like Henson and Snell in the starting five. I mean, these guys, you know, tonight, a rare uh, quiet night from Tony Snell, just one out of four <laughs> shooting. Um, but that's fine. I mean, Tony isn't going to complain. You know, Tony's going to play off those other guys. And if uh, if he's open, he's going to shoot it. And if not, he wins, he's not. And so I think right now you just have a really nice construction in terms of that starting five with, you know, three guys who obviously are, are learning to play off one another. And you know, we'll see how it can continues, and and obviously the big thing you just cross your fingers for is health, because um, obviously that was one of the big qualifiers with Bledsoe is you know if he can stay healthy, and so far a little bit of a concern early on when he had some some knee soreness, but um, obviously it's kind of funny. I, I I used to be the kind of person like I I was so anxious to get to the next game because I just want to watch basketball that. You know, I was like, oh, we got a game tomorrow. Good. I want to watch another game. Now I'm like, oh, can we get two days off, please? <laughs> like, when is the next game? Make the game make the next game a few days off. Give give the Bucks more time to rest. So, you know, Giannis can rest his knee and, you know, Bledsoe can rest all of his various appendages, which are missing certain ligaments and <laughs> tendons and whatever. So, um, so anyway, but... Can um, I tell you about my new love, Frank? Yeah. My newest love is this beautiful set that the Bucks run. And I, I just I just can't really get enough of it. And it starts with Bledsoe at the top of the key. Then you'll bring a shooter on each wing, and then kind of two guys at the elbow. One will be Giannis, one will be John Henson. Chris Middleton will start on the same side as John Henson or whatever nominal big man. He will curl around a screen. So the goal is to hopefully get that defender to chase. He'll curl right around the screen and then right back to underneath the basket. And then he'll whip around the other side and he'll curl around a screen from Giannis Adetokounmpo at the elbow. And I love it. 
I'm I'm in love with it. I don't even, it's it's just such a a nice way to use Bledsoe, Giannis, and Middleton because one you have Bledsoe on the ball at the top of the key, and again you can you can lay off of him, but he does need to be covered because he's very talented. Because at a moment's notice, he could just turn it into a pick and roll with Henson on the other side. So you do have to respect him some, and then once you get that look on the right side, you have Chris Middleton coming right off a of Giannis screen and it's really tight so he can get a nice little elbow jumper uh it's really simple and easy for him and then if you do fight really well through it guess what you just got hit with an elbow Middleton Giannis tight pick and roll and I don't know how you stop it <laughs> like you did a great job fighting through Chris nice job and now you defended him well in the pick and roll well Giannis just got a dunk or you didn't defend Chris He's one dribble from being able to get right to the basket. Like, it, It's just a really nice way to use all three of those guys. And in the first couple games, we didn't really see a ton of it, which I guess is probably to be expected. Like, You don't know exactly how these guys are going to gel and how you can put plays together that will really take advantage of all three of those guys. But I love that set. And there, there was a spot where they even ran it a little bit differently tonight. They were up, I think... 12 or so when the starters came back in, or maybe 14. Starters come back in with about five minutes left, and it was kind of one of those things where, okay, you need a basket here. Like, you just gotta you gotta take care of business. And it ended up being the play where Nurkic blocks Giannis clean and gets called for a foul, and they lose their minds. But they run that play, and Middleton, instead of curling, flares out to the corner, Bledsoe delivers the pass, and then it turns right into Giannis being able to attack the basket. And there's just so many counters off it. There's so much action that is really difficult to defend with three guys that are really difficult to defend. It, it, it's wonderful, and I love it. I'm in love with it, and I hope people watch for it the next game because I adore it. You know what I adore? I adore Giannis and Kumbo chase down blocks. So while we're... <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, that uh, that end of the first half was um, sensational. I mean, uh, the video of Giannis. I mean, if you haven't seen it, like going, you know, we think everybody retweeted it at some point um, tonight. But the the video of him when you watch the way Giannis is when you watch the amount of uh, you know space that Giannis closes between himself trailing the play and CJ McCollum dribbling up the court and. So often, it seems like, in situations like this, the offensive player is so far ahead that he thinks he can, like, kind of take, like, and make a midair adjustment because, you know, there's another defender there. And just that little split second allows Giannis, and, and the way he measured his stats, I mean, it looked like he was, like, you know, about to high jump or triple, you know, he looked like a track and field yeah. athlete, like, literally, like, lunging, make, like, measuring his strides and then making these kind of, like, huge lunges and timing it, and then you know packing McCollum off the backboard. Bucks get the ball back, um, and then on the next play to to go into halftime, Damian Lillard uh, drives to the bat, you know, goes the length of the court, is ahead of Giannis, and Giannis just you know, climb, you know, basically just runs up from behind him and just spikes the ball into the first row at the buzzer. Um, I mean, it, he's just. He's just something else. I mean, as a fan, you know, the, the, those are the moments, the, the spectacular moments. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about him inheriting the, the crown of the king of the chase down block from LeBron, and he's been making his claim for that title for quite some time. But, you know, tonight we saw an, another couple of uh, 
of entries into uh, into his ledger, uh, and you know, in the space of about like thirty seconds. So, um, just yeah, if if you didn't catch the game, if you've watched like any plays from the tonight's game, I feel like that sequence was was the the sequence to watch. And I mean, he blocked another couple at the rim earlier in that half, and I think he only got credit for one of them. Um, so three blocks, three steals, you know, ho hum. Giannis, that's that's him for you. And, and that's the funny thing. Like when I opened the show and said, "Oh, all great nights from all three guys, all three members of the big three And it was like, "Well, Giannis didn't really shoot great." And it was just like, "God, everything he did was so overwhelming. Uh, like the blocks, the steals, he was just everywhere." And and again, it, all of that kind of gets muddled because of a poor fourth quarter from really all those guys i think those three combined score it's not it's not many points i think maybe six points in the fourth quarter uh so they didn't really do a lot of damage the bucks only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter but they had a big enough lead at that point that it didn't much matter that they were relatively ineffective in the fourth so they're able to get out of it and yeah Giannis uh, again not a huge night but still a great a great performance from him. Uh, the big three gets loose. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Malcolm Brogdon? Like we've talked about how he's not quite right. And again, tonight, over three from three, but 10 points, four assists, a rebound, um, the least negative in the plus minus column of anyone on the bench in 22 minutes. But, um, w- do you have any thoughts on what could get him right? Because it, it just seems like no matter what, like we, we can keep looking at the starting lineup and being excited about that and everything working. And then like just that fourth playmaker that I think could really help the, the bench units thrive a little bit more. And that's what we've talked about, that the starting lineup is great. The bench units need to be better. And Giannis and Chris and Eric can all help out with that. But brogdon is that fourth guy that can really kind of set all of that off and he just hasn't been been able to get loose lately well i mean i think part of the issue is you know he's not having the benefit of playing with Giannis and chris um as much as obviously maybe Bledsoe is um to start games so um you know the there's a lot more pressure on him in that six-man role even though he is you know going to be on the court with with at least one of those other guys um at all times so um, you know, I think that's probably a big part of it. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, I'm not, I can't say I'm super worried about it. Um, I think it's, you know, part of it's probably an adjustment thing for him. I mean, I think he's, he's still been, I mean, he, you know, he's kind of come every game and I mean, he hasn't had like many just eggs that he's laid since, since he's gone to the bench. He started off those first few games as doing very consistent stuff and, you know, only had nine points, uh, in Sacramento, but you know, only took seven shots and, game for that in utah i mean it kind of got lost in the shuffle because they got you know they lost but he scored 19 points on nine shots there um and in phoenix not a great night but 14 points 14 shots three assists a couple steals so um you know i think it's one of those things he's probably still getting the rhythm of of how he's supposed to be playing and especially in some of these second units i mean that's where he's on the court with like deandre liggins and thon and guys who you know again yeah. compared to the guys in the in in the, in the starting group i mean even if you want to compare like deandre liggins to tony snell and you know thon to john henson there definitely is a drop-off there you know at this point in terms of just 
what those guys can do with Definitely. the ball, the confidence they have. And, you know, we saw Liggins tonight. He got one very friendly role on a three-point shot. But um, for the most part, you know, he had a number of very open looks, one out of four from three. Um, the the Blazers were very happy to concede that shot to him. And, um, you know, he was a, did his junkyard dog thing and um, made life very annoying for Damian Lillard, who only had 18 points on 16 shots uh, with five turnovers. But, um you know, again, offensively, I think it's it's going to be a slog at times, as as spectacular as the starters can be. Um, certainly, with some of the bench units, uh, you know, again, even though you're going to have some of the starters, um, it's going to be some drop off, and certainly there's pressure on Brogdon to to help offset some of that. And on a night like this where he doesn't hit a three, um, certainly that's that's going to be harder for him to do, at least statistically. But I don't know. I'm not that worried about it because I think he, overall, it's not like he's in like some big slump. Yeah. Um, he was going to come down anyway from some of that hot three-point shooting start the year. So um, so I don't know. I mean, he you know 22 minutes tonight. I'd like to see him probably be a little higher. Um, but, you know, again, uh, I'm not that worried about Mal- Malcolm. I think it's just, you know, as long as he's healthy, I think he'll probably figure it out because he's still going to be getting pretty consistent minutes. Yeah, I, I think there there's just a, a matter of kind of understanding that he's going to play with guys that aren't quite as talented. And right. you just you can't expect the the same thing. And even even last year when it would be at the start of the season, our, our very favorite Brog Row lineups, like he had Greg Monroe. He had another very talented offensive player that he could play off of, and they did so extremely well. And this year, when you do see those bench units, it's it's not someone that he can play off of in those same ways. Uh, uh, they've been trying to stagger him, I think, mostly with Middleton, um, and I think that also probably creates some problems. Like He's just not getting any of the Giannis help. Or, or I should say a significantly smaller portion of that Giannis help. And no matter who you are, playing with Giannis is going to help help out your stats. It's going to make you look better. He's he's just that much of a singular talent that you're going to be helped out by that. So, yeah, it, it's just interesting to watch. Um, and again, you, you just... I got to say, I do sort of feel for him that he did start out the, sh- the season as well as he did, and now he's... He's not necessarily. I guess he's kind of punished because he does gets he does get fewer minutes, but um, he is the one that has to adjust to the newest of roles. And um, certainly in those first four games, he did an admirable admirable job of that. Um, and I think he's going to continue to work through stuff. So we'll see there. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about. We didn't get to talk about it last time because it was a late game and we were rushed, so we didn't wait for the kid post game like we normally do um, when we do this. Uh, it's December, or I guess now officially it is since officially. We're, we're recording yeah. at twelve oh five on December one. Um, but that shouldn't mean anything other than Jason Kidd believes that you can start playing your veterans in December. Um, <laughs> Or at least that was the old, quote. I, I would old, ass- old man winter Jason Terry. I, I would assume it was tongue in cheek in one of those jokes from kid that just struggles to hit, um, especially in written form. Um, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe that is something that he actually means because for the second straight night we see Jason Terry uh, four double digit minutes, eighteen tonight uh, against the Blazers. Thoughts, feelings. What, what what are you thinking about seeing Jet's return? Well, I mean, I'm I obviously like I love Jet, um, the, the the person, the concept, the idea, the man, the myth. Um, do I want to see him getting you know fifteen to twenty minutes every night? Mm, 
maybe somebody else could play more minutes instead of him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, we saw it last year. The Bucks were actually very good with Jason Terry on the court. We haven't really seen that so far this year. I mean, he hasn't really played much at all. Yeah. Um, tonight he hits a couple jumpers. Didn't hit any threes, but hit a couple jumpers. Um, and, you know, he played a fair bit. Especially, I thought it was especially noticeable in the first half. Um, you know, he came in and um, I think in the first half, I mean, he ended up minus five. But I, 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 it felt like he was a positive in that first half. Like, or at least they were not losing ground. I know they had, they gave up that quick run to start the second quarter, but, um, for the most part, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I think when he's out there with good players, um, it's kind of those things. I don't worry that much about him, but certainly, I mean, he's sort of the flip side of like the Malcolm Brogdon conversation, right? Like if you put Malcolm out there with Jason Terry and Deandre Liggins and Don Maker, um, you know, all those guys have very clear limitations and again, it's not like there's somebody on the bench uh, who is this worldly better, you know, much better player. I mean, Sterling Brown isn't a proven much better NBA player at this point than Jason Terry. Yeah. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, I would much rather see Sterling Brown winning minutes than Jason Terry. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, that that hasn't happened yet. And again, Terry hasn't played much, obviously, in the first part of the season either. Uh, and, you know, probably a guy like Liggins has been a big part of that because Liggins has defended guards off the bench. And, you know, he's really eaten up a lot of the minutes that, you know, these other guys like Vaughn and, and Sterling Brown would otherwise maybe get. So it'll be interesting to see, like, how that kind of, you know, how those minutes kind of get doled out moving forward. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't think playing Terry is... Well, at least last year, it certainly didn't seem to hurt you much. Um, he's smart enough, stays in his lane enough, you know, offensively, um, moves, understands spacing and, and does the right stuff defensively. Obviously, he's physically has a lot of limitations, but he's still pretty smart about stuff. And, you know, again, they, they didn't get killed last year. So we'll see. I mean, at some point, you know, you're too far into your 40s to be <laughs> able to play in the yeah. NBA. Um, that could be this year for Jason Terry. I don't know. And obviously, he's played a little bit the last couple of games. So we'll see if that's more of a trend, but you know, usually the, the trend with Jason Kidd in terms of rotations is usually no trend. So, um, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure other guys will get chances as well. Um, I, well, I was going to say before we kind of sign off, we talked about before we went on, but do we want to talk a little bit more specifically about the defense and, you know, the kind of the continuation of some of the things we saw the other night in terms of how they are playing. I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I'm so sick of using, you know, hashtag scheme yeah. as a, a talking point in, in the box. Cause it's important, but I also feel like sometimes it, it dominates every discussion. Um, but this was a team we talked about in Portland that kind of the old flawed scheme actually like would probably be exposed less against the Blazers because the guys on the ball yep. in Lillard and McCollum um, are so dangerous relative to the guys off the ball that you know you actually kind of do want to you can't you can't take pressure off those guys you can't just drop off those guys you know in a pick and roll or something like that um and so it seemed like tonight there was again it wasn't like a just a straight up return of what we've seen previously but it seemed like the bucks did generally a good job of kind of keeping containment of those guys when they had the ball but by the same token they weren't just totally selling out trapping and creating wide open pass passing lanes all around the court. Obviously you mentioned the turnovers. Um, you know, they were able to limit uh, Portland in terms of, you know, just six out of 23 from, from deep um, 42 paint points. I feel like there were a fair number of opportunities around the rim. They were not tagging, uh, 
and, and stopping Nurkic from getting to the to the rim on rolls early in the game in particular, it felt like. Um, but for the most part, obviously, you know, I, let's just say this: it was not like just dumb luck that the Bucks had a 94 defensive rating tonight. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. And it's kind of funny when you think of these last two games; these are games that I, I think the old scheme probably would have found some success against. Um, you look at a Kings team that simply just doesn't have the ball handlers, can't really hurt you from three, and the Bucks went away from that. They went to a, a newish scheme uh, where they aren't doing those same things that would have been effective against the Kings. You could trap the hell out of those guys and force turnovers that way and ultimately give us some threes on the backside and probably not get hurt all that badly by them uh and then you look at tonight the first time they played the blazers they trapped the hell out of lillard and mccollum they were doing everything they could to get the ball in their hands and i remember commending them in our post-game podcast about that that they did a really nice job of keeping lillard and mccollum from getting going because they were just hounding them and forcing other guys to make plays and Again, the Blazers don't do a good job getting those corner threes like we talked about, uh, and their main three-point shooters are Lillard and McCollum, so that aggressive, overhelping scheme could have worked against the Blazers again tonight, and we largely didn't see much of it. Uh, We did see them drop back, and we saw them get in the passing lane again, and one of the exciting things about sitting in the passing lanes is when your, your turnovers are jumping into passing lanes and that's kind of starting a break already so again this is totally anecdotal but it just feels like that's encouraging that transition where you can get that live ball turnover and instead of having to track it down going back towards the basket you're protecting you can go forward towards your own basket the one that you're trying to score on so that's kind of exciting and then i i think the one thing i was just mulling over my head is I do wonder if this scheme also allows Eric Bledsoe to just kind of be unleashed because Eric Bledsoe like I said earlier in the podcast is incredibly good at getting over pick and roll screens and he's incredibly good at at just being strong physical in in dude shorts like he is just there all the time and when you trap right away or you high hedge well, he's, he doesn't, I mean, he can fight over, but what does it do? Like, it doesn't do anything because now you have two guys in a spot where you don't need them uh, and it's going to give up something easy and I think that can lead to some frustration. While here, if he does fight over and work as hard as he can, it's really helpful because then the roll man isn't open because the big never came up to high hedge, to trap, to do anything. So uh, part of me wonders if, moving to this scheme and again now it's been two games where we've seen it largely and and i tweeted out that you could clearly see that they were doing the newish scheme with henson um it wasn't quite as clear with thon and i think that would be largely because well i'm not 100 percent sure thon knows what he's doing um so you could see it with henson and i I don't know it's it's making me kind of think about uh, how you best leverage Eric Bledsoe, and I do wonder if this does a better job of that. Yeah, I mean, for, for a long time, you know, there's been a lot of talk among, you know, viewers of the NBA about point guard defense not really mattering. But I think nowadays in a league that's increasingly pick and roll based, um, where having that extra 
you know, couple centimeters of, of, of connection with a ball handler and being able to get through screens one more time out of 10 or whatever it is like the marginal differences I think do matter. And I think with Bledsoe, we're seeing, you know, he's so much more natural as a defender of point guards than, you know, either Brogdon or Delhi who are much more, you know, they, given their size, you know, I think from a switching standpoint, yeah, they can switch probably more position. Well, I don't even know if they can switch more positions than Bledsoe because Bledsoe is just a strong, like bull of a human (laughs) being. Um, but Bledsoe is also quick and strong enough to navigate through screens the way those guys are can. I think part of it is just because those guys are just bigger and slower and they're just, yeah. you know, it's just harder for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we, we talked about when the Bledsoe trade happened, that Bledsoe can help the Bucks defense, but he's not going to solve or can help the Bucks defensive problems, but he cannot solve the Bucks defensive problems. And sure. the interesting thing is, I mean, right now in the season, the Bucks are 14th offense, 16th in defense. They've, moved up a fair bit defensively in terms of the rankings um since the blood so trade they are fourth in defense <laughs> in 10 games i mean again 10 games right yeah. but fourth in defensive rating 22nd in offense so sort of the offense is is not there yet despite the starting lineup being great with blood so um and you look at kind of you know break it down a little bit more um effective field goal percentage of opponents they're 10th since the Bledsoe trade, and they are first in turn forcing turnovers um, defensively. And again, this is you know, and and we we often talk about is the the trade off that used to happen with kind of the well, and I don't want to make it sound like the old scheme is dead and dusted and we're never going to see it again because who knows, right? But um, but that was obviously always one of the, the ideas was like, oh well, you know, we want to trap and stuff because we want to force turnovers, and you know that that's part of the trade off. Well, what if your guys are long enough and smart enough and you actually coach them well enough that they don't have to give up that other stuff and they can still force turnovers? Yeah. And we're kind of seeing that at least in very small samples these last couple of games. And we'll see if it continues. Um, but certainly the, the fact that the Bucks have been first in, in forcing turnovers, I mean, you know, Bledsoe obviously is, is a part of that story given his ability to, you know, freelance a little bit, um, attack the ball, you know, when there's a little bit of air under the ball, attacking it, getting steals that, that lead to fast breaks. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of see how, how it all kind of plays out and, and how consistent it is. Because, you know, ultimately the only thing that can really, t- you know, the only thing that will really validate whether the Bucks are on the right track or whether the Bucks have figured anything out or whether they have really changed is, is just repetitions and, you know, games against good teams. And certainly the next game against the Kings on Saturday is a game that, you know, you just expect them to, you know, if they don't win by double digits, you're going to be disappointed. Um, but thereafter you go on the road to Boston, which certainly is a measuring stick game against uh, the league's best defense in Boston um you've already won there once so you have that benefit but obviously the the Celtics have been much better since then on opening night when you when the Bucks pulled that off and then you go come back home and get the Pistons again who you've beaten at home once before um and you followed it up with a couple of revenge game opportunities hosting the Mavericks hosting the Jazz who obviously uh the Bucks fell victim to in very ugly fashion uh previously so I think the next five games are interesting probably the Kings game is the next one that's certainly the least interesting but again I mean it's the same story as ever with the Bucks. Like, yeah, I mean, they've been exciting in one to two to three, even four game stretches many times in the last few years. Uh, the question is now, can you do it over five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games and actually play <laughs> at a high kind of sustained, consistent level? And, you know, if the Bucks' defensive ranking is, you know, eighth in the league in two or three weeks, then 
very good things would seem to be happening. But right now, obviously, it's um, it's still small sample size theater. It's encouraging, especially following up the win in Sacramento with a, a very comprehensive win against obviously a much better team in Portland. Um, but certainly, the the measuring stick games will continue uh, on Monday in Boston. And uh, you know, the Pistons, despite losing to the Bucks, have continued to reel off wins since then. And you know, again, you look at the standings right now. I mean again we kind of joked before the season it seemed like the bucks just by kind of showing up could could finish fifth in in the eastern conference not in this eastern conference yeah i mean you look at it now i mean boston's obviously made their claim as you know the best team in the east for now um detroit second at 14 and six and the cavaliers now have won 10 in a row so cleveland has figured things out they're 15 and seven toronto at 13 and seven we kind of know what the raptors are um and the sixers at 12 and nine they are fifth and the bucks are sixth so, you know, teams like Washington are still kind of floating around behind the Bucks. That's kind of the obvious team that would expect that they can still leapfrog the Bucks. But certainly with the Sixers continuing to play well, with the Pistons continuing to play well, um, you know, these Eastern Conference games uh, are, are going to be really important. You love winning Western Conference games on the road. Um, but, you know, now also some good opportunities coming up to win some games against teams that are ahead of you in the East. And uh, again, continue to build on some of the things we've seen and hopefully continue to climb in, in the east so i need to chill your glass of kool-aid in in the refrigerator for now you're, you're not quite ready for your glass of kool-aid yeah uh, maybe a sip for, i'm too old for it right now maybe a sip okay. well by the way what 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 flavor is is kool-aid when you think about it mm, red it's got to be right yeah it's kool-aid man busting through that wall yeah it's oh be. yeah it's gotta be right like, gotta what, be. what else yeah. could it be all right frank uh i've had enough for the night that was fun uh the milwaukee bucks win 103 91 in portland finish up a four-game western conference road trip at three and one which you will never ever ever be upset about or even try to complain about because that that's just what you have to do if you're going to put together a, a strong season you have to be able to get wins on the west coast and that's exactly what the bucks did on the night big performers eric bledsoe 25 points four assists two steals and a block chris middleton 26 points four four assists seven rebounds and a steal and yasteta kumbo 20 points nine rebounds five assists three steals and four blocks so a big night for all those guys and like you mentioned earlier all five guys in the starting lineup plus 15 or more middleton was the worst at plus 15 henson at plus 19 and then Giannis, eric bledsoe and tony snell at plus 21 so a big night for all those guys a big night for the starting lineup like usual and we'll see what the bucks can do moving forward next game saturday night against the kings we will probably talk to you again on Sunday. I'm not 100% sure. We haven't talked about our schedules yet, but we'll probably talk to you uh, sometime around there. So that'll be our next Lockdown Bucks. Thanks for listening to this Lockdown Bucks. That was Frank. I'm Eric. We'll talk to you later.